0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on December 12th, 2021, during our Sunday morning service. We have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15am, Sunday morning service at 10.30am, Sunday evening service at 6.30pm, Wednesdays at 6.30pm. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our wanna program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it.
1: we often think about what earth gained. Sometimes we, Oftentimes we forget what heaven lost when Jesus stepped from his throne to the manger. And uh, so a good reminder of that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace that was poured out for us when you, because of your great love for this world, sent your only begotten Son into this world. And Father, as we have been studying the Good Shepherd, the God Shepherd, Jesus Christ, God, I pray now as we turn your, uh, your word, God, uh, open that you would turn the light on in our hearts and, God, that you would shine the truth of your word into our hearts. Uh, we love you and thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Psalm 23, Psalm 23. When you think of animals trained for war, you probably don't think of sheep. War horses, the dogs of war, you probably haven't heard of the sheep of war. Nevertheless, Jesus Warned us, told us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, behold, pay attention to this, listen up, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. So you had better, he goes on to say, be as wise as serpents, be harmless as doves, don't have the attitude or the disposition of a serpent, have the wisdom of a serpent. Don't have their disposition, be harmless as a dove, but you are my sheep and I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves. Now we've spent the last two Sunday messages together looking in John chapter 10 at the good shepherd Jesus Christ, who affirmed that he is the God shepherd, one with the Father. I thought we should spend some time looking at the good sheep of the good shepherd. What does it mean to be a good sheep? And I want to take us to Psalm 23 this morning. Now, Psalm 23 is uh, a psalm that many of us have memorized. And even if you've never been in a church, if you've ever been to a funeral, at some point you have probably heard Psalm 23. It is a psalm of incredible comfort. But as we're going to see this morning, it's about more than just comfort. We've spent the last several weeks again talking about Jesus as the Good Shepherd, how He protects us as His sheep, how He calls us by name because He knows those of us who have trusted in Him and trusted in Jesus Christ. There was a time in my life when I recognized that I was broken, that I was under condemnation. I knew that I had done things I shouldn't do. Even as a five, six-year-old, I knew I had stolen things, taken things that didn't belong to me, I had lied, I had, I had sinned, and that I was under condemnation, but that because God loved me, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sin, and for the sins of the whole world, John says in 1 John 2, 2, and that He rose from the dead, and He offered me forgiveness, and He offered me eternal life, and I accepted that offer. I became one of His sheep, and many of you, most of you have as well, and if there's somebody here who has not become one of his sheep, you can be one of his sheep by accepting the message that I've just presented to you, the message from his word. And Jesus gave his life for the sheep. He knows each of us by name. We know him. We saw that from John 10, he unifies his sheep into one flock. We're one family of God in Jesus Christ. He gives us eternal life. And He has us in His hand, and God the Father has us in His hand, and together we have the eternal life guaranteed by the very hands of God. But with great privilege comes great responsibility. And in Psalm 23, David, drawing on his personal experience as a shepherd, begins to contemplate not only the comfort of knowing God as his good shepherd, but the commitments that are therefore required of us as his sheep. And so while we come to this psalm for comfort as we should, it also needs to speak to us as a public profession, a public commitment of our faith in the Lord and the commitments that we will make as one of his sheep. As we walk through this psalm together, I want to show you three commitments that David makes, public professions and commitments of faith in his good shepherd, who we now know as Jesus Christ by name. Three commitments of Jesus sheep. The first one is verse 1 through 3. Let's look at these familiar verses together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures he leadeth me beside the still waters he restoreth my soul he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake in these three verses david makes a commitment and it's the commitment to contentment i shall not want now, I remember when I was living in Scranton one day, I used to, I used to run around Lake Scranton, which was a, a really nice 5K run. Uh, it's just a, a beautiful place to run. It was one of the only beautiful places in Scranton, uh, if you've ever been to Scranton. But I loved, uh, other, than my, other than my friends, of course, uh, the, the only thing I really liked about Scranton was Lake Scranton, and I used to run there all the time. And I was running uh, out at Lake Scranton one day, and I was praying through this psalm, as I would often do, just meditating on it, praying through it. And I, I began the prayer, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I stopped, and I said, Lord, I have to be honest with you. There's a lot that I want. I feel like there's a lot, a lot of want in my life. And I sensed the Holy Spirit speak to me. It wasn't audible, but it was clear. And the Holy Spirit said to my heart, is he really your shepherd? Are you really trusting him as your shepherd? See, this is a promise, but it's also a commitment. I shall not, the Hebrew word kauser literally means lack. It will be better translated to us, not as want in the sense that we want things. We always want things, right? But the Hebrew means I will, I will not lack. When he is my shepherd, I will be content with what he has given me. Because I know that I will have everything I need. I shall not lack. Now, David, in these very short verses, gives us literally five things that we shall not lack. Five ways that Jesus will meet our needs if we make that commitment to contentment now it's available to you but the problem is even though you have it some of us are not claiming it some of us are not relying on it some of us are pretending we don't have what god has promised us and so we're not experiencing the promise but if i will commit to contentment david promises David illustrates for us that Jesus will provide for things. Remember, we have the promise of Philippians chapter 4 that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. God does not want for anything. We want, but in Christ we don't lack. Here are five things that we have. Number one, his provision. His provision. I lie down in green pastures. I have everything that I need provided for me by God. Now, if you've ever seen sheep in the wilderness, if you've ever seen pictures of sheep in Israel, yes, there are certainly fertile places in Israel that are very uh, recognizable, familiar to us. When we think of sheep, many times we have this European uh, view of sheep where you have these you know, like the movie, the old movie Heidi, where you've got these, you know, lush fields of green and and these sheep grazing on the mountains. That's not exactly David's experience as a shepherd. Things are a little different in uh, parts of Israel, where green grass is not as far as the eye can see. You have to know, as a shepherd, where to find the green grass. And green pastures in this culture, in this context, may not look green from a distance, but the shepherd knows where the green is. The shepherd knows where the patches of grass are, so that when the sheep lie down, they lie down where they have something to eat. They have provision. God does not promise to meet all of your wants. But He does promise that if you trust Him, you will not lack what you truly need. First John 5 says this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And John says, if we know that he hears us, then we know that we have the thing that we've asked for. And so if we know what God has promised us, we know it's his will because he's promised to give it to us. If we will ask, John says, believe that he hears you, that's a, that's, that takes faith, right? Because we don't see God. Sometimes it feels like our prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back down. John said, you got to believe that he hears you. He does hear you. And if he hears you and he's promised it to you and you're claiming it by faith, then you have to know and you have to believe and you have to trust that you have the thing that you've asked for. God promises his provision. Number two... God promises his protection. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Waters of rest, my Bible notates. Still waters. Do you know that more people die in the desert? More people die in the wilderness from drowning than from the heat? It's true. Because in the desert, in the wilderness, there have a phenomenon known as flash flooding. And it's much more dangerous than the flash floods that we get our little warnings here in, in, in our community on our phones, the flash flood warning. Those you need to take those seriously too, okay? I'm not saying they're not serious. But in the desert, water can hit at such speeds that by the time you hear it, coming, it's too late to get out of the way. More people drowned in the desert every year than die from the heat, die from the sun. What we need are still waters. Water where there's no vibration. There's no danger coming that you can see when you look at the water and you can see that it's vibrating. These are still water. This is places of peace, places of, state, of safety, places where you can lie down and rest. The Lord brings us to places of protection. And here's the promise that we have from the Gospels. Even when the waters aren't still, Jesus has to speak one word, peace. Be still. He doesn't need the, the be still, Right? He just adds that so we understand where, where the peace that he's talking about is. Peace. Be still. And the fiercest storms over in over an instant. Sometimes God calms the storms in our life like that. Sometimes He just brings us safely through the storms, and the storms continue to rage. But He promises us His provision and His protection. Number three, His peace. Isn't this what we all want? Peace of mind. Peace in our hearts. Isn't this what we celebrate when we celebrate the birth of Jesus? Isn't that what the angels promised, the shepherds? And on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. We want peace. Peace in the Greek literally is the word oneness. It speaks of of being undivided. Of having peace. Perfect unity. We we lack peace because we're broken on the inside. We lack peace because we're conflicted in our hearts and in our minds. We know the promises, but we have these fears. We know the promises, but we have these doubts. And God says to us, I can speak peace. I can bring peace. When we bring our supplications, our prayers and supplications to the Lord with thanksgiving, Paul says, Philippians 4, the peace of God that passes understanding. The reason that we lack peace many times is because we're waiting until we understand it. God, why are you doing this? God, why are you allowing this? You need peace that passes understanding. If you're waiting until you get the understanding until you feel the peace and claim the peace, you're going to miss out on it because there are a lot of things God doesn't promise you the understanding, but He does promise you a peace that passes that understanding. He will restore peace. Your soul. Number four, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. I have his provision, his protection, his peace, and I have his path. I have his path. Proverbs tells me to trust in the Lord. This is David's son writing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Again, don't wait till you understand it. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall. Literally, make your paths straight. So that you're not back and forth and you you don't feel like a ping pong ball uh, or a pinball uh, bouncing through the machine when you're trying to get where you want to go because God's going to make that path straight for you. He's going to make it clear what you should do. He's going to make right and wrong clear for you. And He does that through His Word. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He does it... By His Spirit, Romans eight fourteen, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And the Spirit often leads us through that sense of peace. As we pray, as we, as we go to God's Word and as we pray, and the Spirit will often give us that peace that we know this is the, this, this is the path God wants me to take when it's not black and white in the scripture, when it's not clear cut, when it's not clearly right or wrong, and I'm trying to to parse these decisions together, but I'm truly in God's word, and I'm truly in prayer, and I'm truly listening for the leading of the Holy Spirit, we get that peace that guides us to show us which way to go. What a promise. When you come to the crossroads of life, we talked about crossroads on Wednesday night. We looked at Abram at the crossroad. Turning points, decision points in life. When we come to those crossroads, sometimes they're on the calendar. We see them coming. Sometimes events happen and we have a choice to make and all we have time to do is shoot up a flare prayer as my friend calls them. But we know we have the promise if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God and God gives us the peace and the wisdom and the discernment to make the decision we need to make. Why does he do that? Why does he continue to do that as many times as I've failed him, as many times as I've let him down, as many times as I've needed his discipline in my life because I haven't listened to him and I haven't followed the word and I haven't been in prayer? Notice this next one. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. See, I have his paternity. He's my daddy. Tell my son, you have two daddies. You have one on earth, that's me. I get to be your earthly daddy. And because of your decision to ask Jesus to forgive your sins and to trust in his resurrection, you have a heavenly father. And you carry his name. I carry his name, not just the Richie name. I am deeply loved by God the Father, And he has deeply invested in my eternal life through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. He's put his name on me. He's adopted me into his family. He has filled me with his Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of adoption, and I have his name. And listen, you are as much and more God's responsibility as your own kids are your responsibility. God has taken responsibility for you as his child when he brings you into his family. And he's not going to abandon you. He's not going to fail you. He will discipline you. Confess, right? Testimony time. He will discipline you, but he will not abandon you. You have incredible provision. Are you committed to be content? Are you you content with what he has provided? Are you content with how he has chosen to protect you? Are you content with the peace that he's offered? Are you content with the path he's called you to take? Are you content with being his child? Commit to contentment. Number two, commit to courage. Look at the next verses, verses 4 and 5. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over listen we come to psalm 23 so often to hear what god is going to do for us but do not miss what god has commanded us to do for him you are commanded to commit to be content and you are commanded to be courageous it is not an option it is not on the table for you to take or to leave it is a command of god to be courageous i will fear no evil paul says to timothy god has not given you a spirit of fear he's given you a spirit if you are a child of god God has given you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind or, or self-discipline. He has given you his spirit to be able to empower you to do what God's called you to do, to be able to love who God has called you to love, and to be able to have soundness of thinking and self-discipline. God has given you the Holy Spirit who's provided that for you. Let me give you five reasons from these verses that Christians must Be courageous. Again, commanded by God. Number one, His presence. I will fear no evil, not because I'm a superhero. (laughs) Not because I have uh, a vibranium shield to protect me from all attacks, or I have a healing factor to heal any wound that would happen to be. Not, Not because... Of anything in me, but because He is with me. Thou art with me. Do you know that God is with you? We have the promise of His presence. Promise that Jesus Christ is always with me. It's what Jesus affirmed to the church when He gave the church the Great Commission. And He said to make disciples of all the nations. How do you do that? Well, you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you teach them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. And then here's the third thing Jesus said, I need you to do for me, I need you to behold, I need you to focus on this. It's a verb, it's an imperative verb. Behold, lo, focus on this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm not going anywhere. Hebrews 13. Never will I leave you, Jesus promised us. Never will I forsake you. We have the presence of God. We Not only the Spirit of God, not only the Spirit of Christ inside of us, but the presence of Christ with us. He is always with us. Number two, not only His presence, but as we've already mentioned, we have His power. His presence beside us, His power at work inside of us through the Holy Spirit. But here, illustrated, demonstrated, By the rod and the staff of the good shepherd. His rod, his staff should comfort me. This rod is uh, another word for the scepter. And there's a play on words that David is using here. Remember, the shepherd became the king, right? The shepherd became the king. Our king became our shepherd. But in both instances, this word rod or scepter can have a double meaning. the the scepter to symbolize the authority of the one who shepherds me. That's what should comfort me. His power, the scepter, the shebet, the scepter of authority that illustrates that he is my shepherd, he is my king. And the shepherd uses both his scepter, his rod and his staff to protect me. And to discipline me. The shepherd will use his staff for both purposes. Sometimes he uses it to bring correction in our lives. Sometimes he uses it in a preventative way in our lives. But however God is using his authority and his power in our life, it is for our good. And we need to claim comfort from that. Number three, not only his presence and power, but we have his planning. His planning. He has prepared a table for you. And he's done it in the presence of your enemies. What a promise. Thou preparest a table. You've you've got everything set up for me. God, God knows. The number of the hairs on your head. And Jesus said, if he cares about the sparrow, why do you think he doesn't care about you, O ye of little faith? He cares about you. He loves you. He, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, laid down his life for his sheep, and he has a plan for your life. You want to be part of his plan? Stop trying to get God to be part of your plan. Stop trying to get God to rubber stamp what you have planned for your life. And seek what He has planned. Now sometimes, sometimes it's hard to know. Sometimes it's hard to discern. And, and we don't want to have that paralysis of analysis where we don't do anything because we're not sure what to do. So I'm just not going to do anything. But as you are taking steps and making the decisions that you're making and pursuing what you think God has created you to be and created you to do, be sure to submit to His leading, knowing that He has Prepared a table before you, even in the presence of your enemies. And when we get back into the book of Ephesians, Lord willing, when we get to chapter 6, we're going to see we have lots of enemies. I used to read that and think, I don't have any enemies. (laughs) I'm just a kid. I don't have any enemies. Oh, I got lots of enemies. Because I don't wrestle with flesh and blood. I wrestle with principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. And it's why we all need the full armor of God. I'm going to get ahead of myself if I keep going that direction. So just remember that we all have spiritual enemies. If you are one of Jesus' sheep, you get to be, uh, be a sheep in shining armor. and You get to wear the armor of the Lord, and you get to have victory over the one who is the, the uh, roaring lion who prowls about seeking who he may devour, 1 Peter chapter 5. But I need to remember, in spite of all the enemies that are set against me, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Because Jesus has already put my enemies to shame. Uh, I want you to turn with me. Keep your finger in Psalm 23. I want you to turn with me for a second to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to pick it up here in verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Jesus has paid for your sin, and in so doing, he has fulfilled the law of Moses. You are not under the old covenant anymore. You're not bound by the Old Covenant anymore. You have already been found guilty uh, under the Old Covenant, and you've already been executed for your crimes in Jesus Christ. And so you get to have His payment for your debt, and now you don't have that bondage anymore, bondage to the law of God, which was good because it showed us we needed a Savior. It showed us we couldn't save ourselves. The law is good, Paul says, if one uses it lawfully. But here in verse 15, he says this. Don't forget this. Because you're not home yet, Christian. Don't forget this. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And You know what he did after he died on the cross? Peter says he went down to the pit of hell, Tartarus, and all of those fallen angels who are pr- imprisoned there he spoke not a message of evangelism to them that's not the greek word but a message of victory he proclaimed to them hey y'all are y'all are defeated by the way cuz i just paid for everybody's sins and oh yeah i'm i'm going to rise again too he didn't he didn't go there to wrestle satan okay he came he went there to proclaim his victory was already bought and accomplished on the cross, and he was going to rise again as he did. And he has planned for all of that. He gives us victory over his defeated foes. And it's why in Romans chapter 16, Paul assures the Romans hey, Roman Christians, Jesus already paid the price, he's already won the victory, and he is about to use your feet to step on Satan's head. He has prepared. A table before you in the presence of your enemy. Notice this fourth thing. We have his presence, his power, his planning. We also, number four, have his purifying. His purifying. He has anointed my head with oil. Oil here is symbolic, as it often is, of the Holy Spirit and of the sanctifying of something oil, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. We talked last week at the end of Hanukkah about what Hanukkah memorializes. Jesus practiced Hanukkah. He spoke an important message in John chapter 10 on the celebration at the feast of Hanukkah in the temple. And Hanukkah is the uh, memorialization of that miracle that God did in giving victory to the Maccabean rebels over the powerful Greek king Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes, and also the miracle of the sacred oil, one day supply of oil for that light, that holy light in the temple, and yet God miraculously allowed that one day supply of oil to go for eight days until they could get a constant supply to the city. The work of the Holy Spirit to give you Whatever you need, when you need it. That's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, I was pressed, but I wasn't crushed. I was persecuted, but I wasn't abandoned. I was struck down, but I was not destroyed because I had the work of the Holy Spirit giving me the power that I needed, purifying me, setting me apart for His work, making us fit for service. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 I beseech ye therefore, brethren, By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable service. This is what God has called you to do. God has enabled you, despite all of your failures, despite all of your flaws, despite all of your past, to be set apart, to be a holy, sacred sacrifice. And he is willing and commands you, actually, to be used by him. And he has anointed your head with oil. We have his purifying power. And number five, his pouring out a blessing. My cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. It's not a question of is the cup half full or half empty. My cup is actually running over. Is your cup running over? That's really not the question if you're in Christ. The question is, do you realize your cup is running over? Because it is. We spent a number of weeks in Ephesians chapter 1 talking about all of the spiritual blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ that we have and that we need to confess by faith when we need that reminder that we have these blessings, we have these privileges, we have these responsibilities, yes, but... We've been set apart to be able to accomplish those responsibilities, and He is continually pouring out His blessing. Ephesians chapter 5 says that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The verb there literally means to be in a constant state of being filled because He will not run out. He is a person. You don't get more of the Holy Spirit, but He gets more of you. And as you yield more and more control to him, his power, his wisdom, his fruit becomes more and more evident in your life. And he has an endless, infinite supply. And he will pour out blessing on you. And he wants to use you to pour out blessing on others through you, through the gifts that he has given us. All of that to say, commit to courage. I will fear no evil. Because I know that he's with me. I know he has empowered me. I will fear no evil because I know he's got a plan already in place. Even in the midst of my enemies, he's been setting up his plan. I will fear no evil because he has set me apart. And you know what? When the devil accuses me of sin, then I turn my eyes to the cross of Jesus Christ and I remind the devil that I'm already those sins are already paid for. I'm already forgiven of those sins. So take your accusations elsewhere. It's why I have a great high priest, John says. In the heavenlies. John says in 1 John chapter 2, I'm writing these things so you don't sin, but I know you're going to. So just remember you have a great high priest in the heavenlies. He is actively, actively standing as your priest, reminding, not, not paying the sacrifice over and over again, but reminding the devil the sacrifice is paid. The devil brings accusations. You know what that preacher did, Jesus? Jesus says, uh, forgiven. Paid for, paid for, paid for. It is finished. It is accomplished. It is paid for. So, He is pouring out His blessing. You do not need to be afraid. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. And what a blessing it is when I've had the privilege of seeing somebody who is a Christian who is at death's door and they are not afraid. Because they know that absent from the body is present with the Lord. Let's go to This last commitment that we need to make. Commit to contentment. I shall not want. Pray it by faith. Mean it when you pray it. Claim it. I will fear no evil. And number three, commit to communion. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell. I will abide. You abide in me, I'll abide in you, Jesus said. Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you, Jesus said through James. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, this isn't a guy who's waiting till he gets to heaven to start worshiping God. This is a guy who is content and courageous because he is in communion with God today. And if you're struggling, with contentment or you're struggling with courage, could it be that you have a communion issue with God and you're not really focusing on heaven as your home? Peter says, guys, uh, you're aliens and strangers here. You're just a passing through. Now, we're coming back. The meek shall inherit the earth. But Colossians 3 says, uh, your life is hid with Christ on high if you're a Christian. Your home is heaven. You say, I've never been there. Well, you know, uh, we have friends who adopted several kids from Russia. And on that plane ride, those kids had never been to their home yet. But they were 100% children of their parents. They're on the way, haven't been there yet. But that was secured. And our eternity is even more secured. We have the hope of a heavenly home with our heavenly Father, with our Savior, we need to commit to communion. Here, two things as we close this morning. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why is he able to be so focused and committed to communing with God today? Because he understands, number one, that Jesus pursues me. Surely, goodness shall and mercy shall follow me. The word follow there in Hebrew, Radath, literally, literally means to pursue. Not just to trail after like the caboose, but to chase after. And sometimes I'm running from his goodness. And sometimes I'm running from his mercy, but he's chasing me anyways. I'm running from the blessings. I'm not uh, spending the time in, in his word that I should. I'm not spending time in prayer that I should. I'm not spending time worshiping and in communion as I should. But he, because he loves me, is pursuing me. And if you're not a sheep, if you're not one of his sheep yet, he is still pursuing you. He has left the 99. He is pursuing you. He is offering this to you. Will you receive it? Will you simply admit that you're a sinner in need of him, that you're under condemnation and that you can't save yourself? You can't be good enough. You can't get wet enough in the baptistry. You can't give enough in the offering plate to earn a place in God's heaven. But he earned it for you. He paid the price for you. He died for your sin. He rose again. He, he, he says there's one way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man come to the Father but by me. But if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be forgiven of your sin. You will have eternal life. You will be my child. He is pursuing us. And he's pursuing us with beauty and favor. The word for goodness here, as some of you might have guessed, is the word tobe. Tobe, which literally in Hebrew means beauty or intrinsically beautiful, intrinsically good. What God declared over his creation when he said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw it and he said, it is tobe. It is beautiful. It is intrinsically good. He pursues you with what is intrinsically good, and he pursues you with mercy or literally favor. Kesed. I'm sure I butchered the Hebrew there. I apologize if anyone speaks Hebrew. Kesed. Favor. God's, what we would probably in, in English translate it as God's grace, his favor on our lives, he pursues us with that favor. And here's the last thing as we close. He perseveres. He perseveres. Isaiah 40. Even the, even the young get weary. Even the young run out of steam. I'm 48. I don't think I can qualify as young anymore. Maybe middle-aged, although I'm starting to stretch that too. I mean, that would be 96. Do I make it to 96? Is I'm at the halfway point. If I do, I could. If the Lord tarries. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Because see, his strength doesn't run out. His energy doesn't run out. He perseveres. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Will you focus on that today? Will you commit to communing with God beginning today maybe? or rededicating it today, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I will fear no evil, and I will be content and shall not lack because he is my good shepherd. Would you stand as we close in prayer? God, we thank you for the work that our good shepherd has done. Father, may we be willing to recognize all that you have given us, all that you have promised us, and to make these commitments with David today so that we can enjoy and experience what is already ours in Christ. And Father, if there's somebody here today, somebody watching today, somebody listening to the podcast who does not know you, God, I pray that they would, by the goodness and mercy of God that they've heard from your word this morning, recognize their need to be forgiven and recognize their need for the only Savior that you provided, Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, that's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, and you would like to know how, please give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.